0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome all of you who are here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online in the Calgary area and beyond, uh, as well as those of you who are meeting together at one of our other regional campuses in Airdrie, let's all say hi, Airdrie. Uh, hi, Airdrie. Uh, in Bridgeland. Hi, Bridgeland. And South Calgary. Hi, South Calgary. And Crowfoot in Northwest Calgary. Hi, Crowfoot, Northwest Calgary. It's a little bit longer, but, anyways, we just really appreciate the rest of our church as they meet in different quadrants of our city. We're in a series uh, we're calling Christianity 101. In which we're examining the essential beliefs uh, of the Christian faith. And we come now to look at uh, the, what the Bible has to say about the nature and the purpose of the church. Some time ago, while on a flight to Ottawa, I sat next to a young woman from Texas, and we got into a discussion on Christianity and the church. And she informed me that she was a Christian, but wasn't part of any church and quite matter-of-factly told me, my faith is a private affair between me and God, and I see no need to be part of a church at all. Her perspective on the church is shared by many today. Many who call themselves Christians see no need to be part of the church. They wonder, if I'm a Christian, why can't it just be Jesus and me? Why should the church Matter to us? Well, the main reason the church should matter to us is that it really matters to Jesus Christ. Jesus, the God man, came to this planet and he is the one who established the church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said this I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Notice in this verse, Jesus refers to the church as his church. You see, he loves the church. The church was his idea. He says that he is building the church. He's not called us to build the church. He said, you do that. You focus on making disciples. That's our call. He is building the church. And so those who ignore the church or reject the church... Or attack the church, well they have an issue with Jesus. Now to help us understand the relationship the church has to Jesus, the Bible uses the metaphor of the human body. Christ is described as the head of the church, while the church is described as the body of Christ. Colossians 1 18 says this about Jesus, and he is is the head of the body, the church. So here's the thing. When you become a Christ follower, when you ask him to forgive you of your sins, and you put your faith in Jesus, not only as your Savior, but you commit to following him as Lord. Two major things take place at the same time. Now, first of all, Christ comes to live in you. He invades you. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul said to the believers at Corinth, he said, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Because Christ is in you, you become spiritually alive in Christ. Furthermore, when you become a follower of Christ, not only does Christ come to live in you, but you come to live in in him. In the spiritual realm you become one with Christ. All your sins and regrets are placed on Christ's account and his perfect righteousness is placed on your account. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. In short, when you put your faith in Christ In the spiritual realm, you become one with him in spirit. And in the natural earthly realm, you become part of his body, the church. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27 says, Now you are a part of the body of Christ. And each one of you, each one of you is part of it. Notice it doesn't say each of you might want to consider being part of the church. No, it says you are a part of it. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, then you are part of his body, the church. Let me illustrate it this way. Most of you have probably noticed um, by now that I am missing a finger on my right hand. Uh, Every once in a while... I'm asked how I lost it, and I've noticed the number of people asking me about it is increasing of late again. It comes around about every three or four years. (laughs) And so it's time to tell the story again by weaving it into a sermon illustration. (laughs) So without giving you all of the gory details, the short version of what happened is this. Due to careless adolescent play, This particular finger became detached from my body, complements of a certain farm machine. Now, over the years, I've had to make the necessary adjustments and, you know, of it no longer being part of my body. And I've actually tried to see the upside uh, to this unfortunate reality. For example, I've discovered when using sign language, I'm able to sign a perfect U. You know, I love you. Now, you see, uh, you can do a V, but you can't do a U. Yeah. It also benefits me as a preacher. Not very much, but it does in that it helps make a four-point sermon seem like three. When my sons were just little guys, it helped cure them of this incessant habit of picking their nose, because I told them that's where I lost it. (laughs) Instant cure. Finished. Done. Losing my finger also ended my piano career, which uh, I now regret, but at the time, I was 12 years old. I actually entered into a time of real praise and worship because I realized I would no longer have to take piano lessons. I mean, that was so good then. But, anyways, okay, back to the point of this story. When my finger was severed from my body, it was lifeless. I mean, you could have tickled it, you could have jumped on it with steel boots, and it would not have reacted, it was dead. And folks, in the spiritual realm, that is a picture of our spiritual status apart from Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we are spiritually dead. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Spiritual life can only be found in Christ by being connected to his body. Now I'm told, had I lost my finger these days they would have been able to reattach it through the marvels of microsurgery when they attach severed fingers like mine today two things happen simultaneously the finger receives the lifeblood of the body and at the same time the body receives the finger And folks, in the same way, when you, by faith, embrace Christ as your Savior and Lord, you become one with Christ, receiving His eternal spiritual life. But you also become attached by the Spirit to His body, the church. You see, there is no separating the two. If you are in Christ, then you are a part of His body, the church. So, what is the church? Well, the church is not a building. Buildings are tools that the church uses to accomplish its mission. The church uses many tools to accomplish its mission. Buildings are one of them. But the church is not a building that you go to. No, the church is people. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. We are the church. Now the reality is the church is made up of fallible human beings like you and me. And also fallible leaders like me. And so we need to realize that we're capable of error. And perhaps even more importantly, we're capable of being a poor reflection of the ideals that Christ has for His church. But even so, we must not ignore the church or sit back and criticize it. Because it is Christ's chosen vehicle to reflect His love and fulfill His mission. And however imperfect it may be, as true followers of Jesus Christ, we are the church And therefore are called to be engaged and involved in a local fellowship of Christ's church like Center Street. Together listening to God and with the Spirit's help bringing a little heaven to earth by faithfully carrying out the assignments that he gives to us. Both personally and also together as a church. Now, when the Bible talks about being a member of Christ's body, the church, um, it is referring to two things. First of all, it refers to being a member of Christ's universal church. Any person, anywhere in the world, who has embraced Jesus as their Savior and Lord is a member of Christ's universal church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body we will never meet or interact with probably 99 percent of Christ's universal church but we are all one with them in Christ we're united with them in Christ regardless of our race our age our gender or our place in society furthermore when the Bible talks about being members of Christ's body It is also referring to the local church. The Apostle Paul, for example, wrote letters to the church at Jerusalem. Also the church at Ephesus. Many of the churches of that day. These were local expressions of the universal church of Christ. Believers met together in homes. But they also met together in larger gatherings in the temple courts in the same way that we're meeting together right now in this worship service. Like any growing church, Acts 6 tells us the gathered church could no longer function informally, but had to organize care for the widows and the daily distribution of food. And later, the church, as the church continued to grow, elders and deacons were appointed to help lead and to organize the church, which naturally comes with numerical growth. But you see, being a member of a local church fellowship was just assumed in the New Testament scriptures. In fact, there, were, there are over 50 instructions in the New Testament that you cannot obey unless you belong to a specific local church fellowship. I mean, throughout the New Testament, you read instructions given to Christians like love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, admonish one another, accept one another, honor one another one another forgive one another submit to one another be devoted to one another see passages like this make it clear that the Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation but rather in the context of a spiritual family the local church to be a Christian and not to belong to a specific local church fellowship I guess is a little bit like being a hockey player, and saying, you know, I want to play hockey, but I don't want to play for any particular team. God expects us to be part of a local church family. Ephesians 2.19 says this, you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now, this leads to two applications um, for us. And the first is this. Membership in a local church fellowship really matters. For some people, being a member of a local church is somewhat like being a member of the Calgary Flames organization. You know, you kind of get your seats and you, you go to a game when you can. You don't really know anyone that's there And no one really knows you. Oh, sure, you enjoy a little pseudo-community, you know, with the ushers, those who sit around you. And you know how that works. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm doing fine. How about those flames? Yeah, how about those flames? Yeah. What would you think of the trade? I don't know what to think about the trade. Well, we'll talk to you again next time. See you later. Folks, you see, that is pseudo-community. Your life could fall apart tomorrow. You could lose your job. Your spouse could leave you. Your child could be seriously injured. You could have a stroke and end up on your deathbed in the hospital. And not one of those 18,000 people at the saddle Saddle Dome would know anything about it or even care if they did because they don't know you. Because face it, the Saddle Dome is a place you go to. It's not a family you belong to. Well, that is not what Christ intended the church to be. And let me just say at this point that I don't believe the problem is the size of the church. Just like it really isn't the, the, the size of the saddle Dome is the problem. I mean, you can be part of a little soccer league in your community and there might only be 20 parents there. And you may not know them any better than the people that are sitting around you at the saddle do. You see, people often like to blame feeling disconnected on the size of the church. But folks, if all you do is attend a worship service like this and then make some small talk after the service for five or ten minutes with people you may recognize but hardly know, and then you go home and have no further interaction with the people from the church you attend, you will feel just as disconnected in a church of 80 as you will in a church of 8,000. The issue is not the size the issue is are we prepared to get past the small talk and step out and take the risk of engaging in the messy business of connecting with people at a deeper level, of actually being the church and opening up to one another and praying and caring for one another, joining together with one another to serve and to reach out to others, which will be messy and make you feel uncomfortable at times. But my point is simply this following Christ includes belonging, not just believing. We are members of his body and are to be active members of His local the local expression of his body, the church. Now, even though the term church member is never used in the Bible, the imagery and the concept of membership or belonging And being involved in a specific local church fellowship is implicit throughout the New Testament. I've already touched on that. But we see it really quite clearly in in, in, uh, 1 Corinthians 5. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to open it to 1 Corinthians 5 and and read the whole chapter. um, Perhaps a little later today, because I don't have time to read the entire passage. Um, I'm just going to give you the essence of what it's saying. The Apostle Paul is talking about a problem of sexual immorality in the church. The man, a man in the church is having an affair with his stepmother. And apparently the church isn't addressing it at all. And the Apostle Paul admonishes the church at Corinth over this issue. And he basically says, look, we all know that sin is destructive. See it for what it is. By not confronting this fellow in the church about his sin shows that you really don't love him and care for him. In the same way that a loving parent is unconcerned for their child when a child is on a self-destructive course and they don't do anything about it. Now, much more could be said here. But for the purposes of this message, I want to draw your attention to what Paul says in verses 9 to 12. I want you to notice that Paul teaches that we are to confront people about matters like this who are in the church. He goes on to say we're not to confront people about matters like this who are outside of the church or those who are not part of the church. Look at verse 12. Paul says this, What business is it of mine? We could change that just slightly and say, what business is it of ours as a church to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Which leads to an interesting question. How do we differentiate Those inside the church from those outside the church. For example, are those attending a weekend worship service like this to be considered inside the church? Well, I think not. Because anyone is welcome to attend our worship services. Anyone's welcome to attend our community groups or other church gatherings or activities, regardless of their beliefs, their faith or their lifestyle so simply attending a weekend service or a church event or gathering is not an accurate way of defining those who make up the local expression of the body of Christ the implication therefore is this there must be a time when I make a public declaration to the members of a specific local church. Not only giving my testimony that I am a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and being baptized, but also that I embrace the core beliefs, values, vision, morals, and mission of this local church. And that I am committing myself to helping this local church body through my serving and my giving to accomplish its God-given vision and mission. And folks around here, we call that declaration church membership. Church membership is not just having your name on a membership roll. You are saying to a local church fellowship like Center Street, I'm committing to you even as you commit to me. I'm committed to being in relationship with at least a few others in this local church, to know them and to be known by them, to serve them and alongside them, to love and to be loved, and to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I'm committing to submit to the authority of the Bible and with God's help to live and to do what it says. I'm committing to protect the unity of my church by acting in love and with grace toward others, by speaking positively and refusing to gossip and to respect and to follow the leaders of this church as they follow Christ. I'm committing to share the responsibility of my church by praying for the fulfillment of its God given mission, by serving where God calls me to serve, and by faithfully giving of my time and the talents God's given to me and also the financial resources He's blessed me with. In the words that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. When you become a church member, you are declaring publicly, I'm no longer outside the church or an uninvolved spectator. But by the grace of God, I'm now a contributing member to this local church fellowship. Now, let me be very clear here. To those who would accuse the church of being exclusive and discriminating against people whose beliefs and lifestyles are not in alignment with the beliefs of our church, I want to emphasize again that everyone, everyone is welcome to attend our church services and other church gatherings, regardless of their beliefs or their lifestyle. As long as they're not disruptive, or acting in a threatening or an immoral way. Everyone is welcome. Now having said that, it's important that you also understand, however, that we have no control over how you will be treated when you attend one of our public gatherings. Because even though everyone's welcome, people will be people we have a large mixture of people who are part of our public gatherings no differently than the people you might meet at restaurants malls or at hockey games some will be friendly and welcoming and others will be cold and prickly and we just want you to know that if you attend one of our public gatherings and run into a cold and prickly type of person who makes you feel unaccepted chances are really high that they're visiting from another church. (laughs) Just want you to know that. Because we're loving and accepting, right? Right? Come on. And I pray that we will be loving and accepting because that's the heart of Jesus. He loves and accepts us. And if we're a reflection of him, we will be that way. Now, should you wish to become a member of the Center Street Church family, then join us, and you feel impelled to want to join us in fulfilling the mission that God has called us to. It is important that you are aligned with us in terms of our core beliefs, our vision, our mission, our values, and our morals. Canadian sociologist Dr. William Gertner says that society consists of voluntary groupings that have steps for membership, which include the following. First of all, sacrifice. We give up certain selfish behaviors for the sake of the group. Otherwise, the group would quickly turn into chaos. Secondly, subordination. We agree to submit to the moral authority of the group and its beliefs and its rules. Thirdly, commitment. We take a vow of allegiance to the group and its vision, mission, and values. And then fourthly, privilege. Once we've completed the first three steps, we receive certain benefits. Now, Dr. Gartner says that any organization any organization will discriminate on this basis. If you want the privileges of being part of a group, then sacrifice, subordination, and commitment are required. Now surely we understand this. In order for an organization to exist and for it to survive, it is imperative that those who claim to be members represent the beliefs and the values of that organization. For example, a book club can only survive if its members are committed to reading and discussing agreed-upon books. For a book club to open its membership to those who are passionate about other things, including those who want to burn books, would be to destroy the very thing that defines it as a book club. Well, it's no different for the church. The church is not being unloving, unaccepting, or discriminatory when we won't accept into membership those who want to ignore or violate or explain away the very beliefs, morals, biblical convictions that define who we are as a church. You can't have it both ways. You can't say you want to be accepted into the membership of the church and at the the same time say, I don't want to submit to the biblical beliefs, principles, morals, and values required by members of the church. With all due respect, if that is where you're at, then I humbly appeal to you to not blame the church for being unloving, unaccepting, or discriminatory when you're not prepared to embrace the biblical convictions that define us as a church. Just be honest. Just be honest and say, you know, the things that I believe... The way I want to live my life, the values and goals that I want to pursue in my life just doesn't fit where this church is at. And so I will need to either start a new community or find another community that is in alignment with the things that really matter to me. That is your right. And I trust that what I've shared makes sense. Now, church, I also trust, after hearing all that I've taught in this message, that you understand, hopefully in a fresh and a new way, why membership matters. Trust me, as a church, we have no interest in just having more people on our membership role. I mean, um, I'm not speaking on this because uh, we're on some membership drive. I mean, you just got to know that. I mean, when's the last time you heard me or anyone in this church talk about membership? I think the last time was like maybe 10 years ago. This is not the issue. I'm speaking on this because we need to understand that we are called upon as Christ followers, not just to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, as important, as supremely important as that is, but we're also called to make a commitment to other Christians in a local church. And that's why membership matters. You know, nobody wants to sign up for anything anymore these days, or commit to anything. But friends, biblically, this is why membership matters. Membership says, I want it to be known that I'm all in. I'm no longer a spectator. I'm a player. I embrace the core beliefs, the moral and lifestyle statements of this local church. I'm passionately committed to the mission, the vision, and the values of this local church. I'm no longer going to be an armchair critic. No, you can count me in to be all in to do my part in joining with others, to accomplish our God-given mission through my living and through my serving and, yes, through my giving. That's the first application. Membership in a local church really matters. And then very quickly, the second application is this. Your ministry, my ministry, matters. So many people never get engaged in ministry because they feel that they have nothing to offer. And yet this is what the Apostle Paul says about that in 1 Corinthians 12. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Paul uses this visual aid of the human body to teach us that we are all an important part of God's kingdom work. Jesus wants his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and he has created a way for that to happen. He could do it all himself, but he has chosen to do his work, to do his miracles, to speak his thoughts through us, the church his new body. You see, even though Jesus lived in his earthly body for 33 years while he ministered in and around Israel, the day that the church was born that we refer to as the day of Pentecost, not only did Jesus' disciples receive new life, which was nothing less than Christ's love, but Jesus received a new body, the church. He received new hands to work with, our hands. He received new feet, our feet. He received new lips, our lips. And church, that is why your ministry matters. Christ has chosen to do his work through us. We are his arms, his hands, his feet, his lips. Now what that means is, Every one of us has an important role to play. Just like every part of our body has an important role to play, whether we see it or not. God has given you a specific gifting to help you fulfill a specific purpose in his kingdom work. Every gift that he's given is needed. If we don't use what he has given to us Others get cheated. Our world continues to be a needy world. God can use even the smallest expression of faith, even the smallest expression of love to make a difference for eternity. You know, two weeks ago, I had the joy right up front here of introducing a woman to Jesus And all of that took place because her friend not only prayed for her and reached out to her, but listened and responded to the prompting of God to invite her to one of our worship services. If we had the time, I wonder how many of us would stand and say, I'm a follower of Jesus today because someone invited me to a youth group or to church or... To a community group. I wonder how many of us would stand and say. I'm a follower of Christ today. Because of the godly life and influence. Of a man or woman at work. Or because of a godly influence. Of a man and woman serving in children's ministry. Or because of the influence of a person. In a community group. Or a young adult group. Or a leader in the youth ministry. Or a pastor or biblical counselor. Who challenged them. And gave them godly wisdom and insight. Or the beautiful example of a family on mission. A family that showed what it means to live all out for Christ. Bill Hybels tells a story. In the early days of their church. When they weren't making it financially as a church. Staff members were out selling tomatoes in order to pay their rent. And one of... His committed volunteers approached him after one of the services and said, you know, Bill, I've noticed that there are a number of people attending our services who are hungry. They don't have enough money to buy adequate groceries. They're leaving here hungry. And Bill said, I know, I, I, I so wish we had the resources to help them out. As the weeks went by, a growing discontent began to well up in this man until he just couldn't stand it anymore. And so what he felt God prompting him to do, he did. Every week, before coming to a weekend worship service, he would fill the trunk of his car with groceries. And after the service, he would hand out what he had purchased to those in need. And Bill says that was the beginning of a ministry... Which has now grown to the size where we're able to provide the practical needs of thousands of people. But it all started when one person said, I can't stand it anymore, and gave God what little he had. Your ministry matters, church. You know, our special needs ministry, which is now ministering to hundreds of individuals with special needs and also to their families began many years ago when someone saw the need and the spirit of God began to stir up a holy discontent within them and instead of passing it off instead of saying well this is a large church you know surely somebody should do that or someone will do that no they heard God speak to them and they stepped out and they offered what they had to the Lord and started what is now An amazing ministry, one of its only kind, right across Canada. Our thrift store ministry that provides clothing and other practical items to countless new Canadians and the working poor in northeast Calgary began years ago when someone saw the need and the opportunity. Couldn't stand it anymore. And responded to God's call to start a ministry in that area. Our ministry to new Canadians. Our children and our youth ministries. The international churches we support around the world. Our small group ministries. Our discipleship ministries. The planting of our church 60 years ago. You name it. All these became a reality. Because way back, someone felt a holy discontent that was put there by God a calling from God and they stepped out in obedience and gave to the Lord whatever they had your ministry matters friends you know in James 2 the Apostle James challenges us with this What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James says a private faith is essentially a dead faith. Because if you really connect with the living God... And you begin to know his heart of love, not only for you, but also for others. You won't be content to keep your faith to yourself, to to close the blinds or the door of your life to the festering needs of those around you. You just won't. No, you'll feel impelled to join others of like mind to intercede for others in prayer, to invest in children or youth, neighbors, co-workers who need the Lord, and or in ministries that are accomplishing God's redemptive purposes in our city, our nation, and around the world. And friends, that is what the church is all about. That is why Christ established the church. I stand before you as one among multiple millions who is absolutely thrilled to be part of a community of Christ followers, the church, a community that is life transforming, that has stood for over 2,000 years, that is making a real difference in our world and that will never die. My prayer is that we will no longer see the church as just a place we go to, but we'll see it as a family that we belong to and that we serve Christ through. That we will realize we are the church and we'll jump in with both feet and link arms with one another. Just even a few others in making the invisible Christ visible for all to see. May it be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please stand for closing prayer? I'm going to invite you to open your hands again to the Lord. and As we become accustomed to for a moment ask ourselves these two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what is one small step you want me to take? What is just one small step Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for the reminder of your ideals for the church and the difference your church has made and is making in our world. Lord, you never intended for us to go it alone. Lord, you established the church so that we might encourage one another in our faith and spur one another on to being all that you created us to be. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for judging and grumbling against the church, for being armchair critics while being unwilling, Lord, to get engaged ourselves. Forgive us for not always representing you and your church very well. And so we pray again if there is something in our church, Lord, that needs changing, that you would begin by changing us. Lord, if we need more prayer, give us a burden and a passion for prayer. If we need more fellowship and hospitality, Lord, give us the courage to to reach out, to invite others into our homes, our community groups, the ministry in which we're serving. If we need more love and grace, Lord, give us your supernatural love and grace for others. If more giving, give us a heart of generosity. If more service, Lord, give us a passion to invest our lives in others to serve them with all our heart for we pray this all in the precious name of jesus and now may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace in the name of god the father the son